uh, welcome back to the Jew Rogaine Experience. Joining me today is one of my good friends, one of my one of my fiercest tennis competitors. Oh yeah, uh, and one of the funniest comedians I know, Alex Hooper. Thanks for thanks for doing the show, Alex. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for wearing this beautiful caftan. Well, it's funny. I've had I've had this for a while, and I've had no excuse to wear it. I mean. I guess I could just wear it, but I don't want people being like, what, are you trying to be Alex Hooper now? Which nobody should be trying to be me, <laughs> because honestly, it is a there's a lot of misery wrapped up in the joy, so, uh, you know, be your own self. Oh, yeah, and we'll definitely get into that, and, and I guess I just want to give like like a, a trigger warning to people at the beginning of this episode. It'll definitely be hilarious, but uh, I'm a hypochondriac, so I'm, I'm afraid of uh, just being on this episode. I'll just make you stare at it then. Oh, my oh. God, that's... So that's yeah. that's the you just have a you just have a permanent chemo injector. Well, in that's your arm. so no, that's a pick line. So yeah, basically that's where they put the chemo in through. There's no chemo going in now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's what they do it through. Well, there was a girl I knew, R.I.P. That had cancer. That uh, she walked around with like a like a thing that was I think constantly giving it to her. I had to do that for about three weeks after I got out of the hospital because I had to have constant antibiotics and so I was attached to a fanny pack which I wear a very good fanny pack like as a, as a kid of <laughs> did festivals. You, did you bedazzle your cancer pack? No I actually left it straight what they gave me because I was like I do not want to like this thing at all <laughs> and, and they told me I could keep it I was like fuck that you take this thing away from me right now it has bad energy there's a it. lot of people that like to keep their uh, kidney stones, which people say is like the most painful experience you can have, uh, because they feel like it, like like they feel like they go through the emotional experience of giving birth <laughs> when they, because apparently it feels like it's the closest a man, and some people say worse, the closest a man can feel to like the experience of childbirth. I believe that. Um, I my wife won't even let me keep my own comedy memorabilia. Like when I come <laughs> home with like a beautiful poster that I'm on that somebody gave me, she's like, "Put that in the closet right now. That's not going up. This is the, our home is not a mausoleum to you." Yeah. So I be... can't. So if I was just like, "Can I keep my pick line for a straw?" She's like, "No, you cannot." Well, I think prob probably once you're bringing in like some serious bucks, you can have the home be a. Uh... That's what the, <laughs> that's what the home office becomes, right? That's what the home is, office. Her, and the home office yeah. becomes the home wing of the house. Yeah, hopefully. Like, like you look at you look at some of these celebrities. Like, I mean, I, I sometimes will look at some of these celebrity houses online, and like it's hilarious. Like the stuff. I don't know. I just watched Creed three, mm -hmm. uh, and like in Creed three, like a wall of of his house is just him in like a fighting stance. And I thought I was like, I was like, that's a little weird that she let him put that up. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't need to remind myself of all the things that I've done. But some of them are just like some of the posters are just beautiful works of art that are originals and I keep them but they're not on my wall yeah. you know yeah, that makes sense. I've thought about. I, you know what? I'll probably do. I'll probably add my uh, last tour poster because it was my first tour yeah, in here. For sure, we that... bought we bought a hundred of them. We're like, oh, we'll sell these. I think we sold four. Yeah. I don't think we made back. I don't think we made back what we spent printing them. But uh, but it was fun. Yeah, of course. <laughs> fun I mean, to you have got, them. Look, you got to take your shots, right? You got to have that stuff ready to go just in case. And then it is a sign of like, oh, okay, we we shouldn't do this. next Well, time. you know what? I bet the tour. 
poster would have done well if we had figured out doing it at the very beginning of the tour as opposed to halfway through. Yeah. Because people did like buying it and having us sign it. Yeah. Um, well, what I've seen a lot is like you you pay an extra $10 for your ticket and then it includes the poster. That mm. way they know when they're showing up that they're going to get a poster. Do you know Daniel Eaches? Yeah. Daniel, he does something very clever. He sells posters with a QR code to his special to a free download of his special. Yep. Because he's like, he's like, there's no point to selling CDs anymore. No. And he's oh like, and he's like, and my specials on Spotify. So he's like, but you know, for people, I make a poster, and it's a cool looking poster. I liked his poster. Dude, and I, he's got a QR code that just gives you a free download of the special, so you can have it. See, and that's on smart. your phone. And yeah, and it's like, I guess it's not a free download. You buy the poster. Right, but then you're getting <laughs> you're getting two times the. Uh, you know uh, the value of the product that you're buying, and one of the biggest things that, like, I think I realized on tour is that people want to support you. They do, and it's like it's much better to have like a dumb sticker that I can sell than like ask them like than people tipping mm-hmm. because it's like someone will give me ten bucks and take a sticker even For though sure. I charge two. They'll be like, yeah, just keep it. But uh, I don't know if they'd have given me just the 10 bucks like out of the no, maybe. No, it is support and it is taking something home and remembering it. I mean, I had uh, one time I was in, I was doing Colorado Springs uh, for the weekend at Looney's Comedy Corner. The, uh, the worst city I've ever been in. Colorado Springs? I mean, I did Looney's. Yeah, I did Looney's. Maybe I was just in the wrong part of Colorado Springs, but I've never wanted to leave a city <laughs> faster in my life. Looney's was great. Yeah, there was a That was a club. great That's- club and it was a hot room. And I just couldn't get out of that city faster. That's my only connection to that place. And they've always treated me well. So I'm always like, yeah, you guys are fine. Um, But I had a kid show up that wanted to come in with his dad. And he was only 14 years old, but he was a fan of mine. And I, he was like, they were like, you can't, this is a nightclub. You can't let him in. And they were like, but would you go? I was like, can I go talk to him? And he was like, oh my God, yes, they would love that. And so I went out there and I was like, hey man, I'm sorry you can't come in, but I'm happy to meet you. And he was so excited. So I gave him one of my CDs that I was still like selling because I had only had a few left and he literally looked at me he's like what is this? <laughs> and his dad just started cracking up. <laughs> and I'm like, look, you're not going to have a way to play that. It's more so just to remember that I gave you something. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Like the moment CDs got phased out or whatever. Cause like it just happened. Like there's just no more CD drive on my computer. No. And like there was, I mean, when I was making my documentary, there were like VHS tapes, beta cams, DVDs that I had to like figure out a way to convert the footage. Yeah, that's Um, crazy. I like bought a bunch of weird equipment uh, and there was like places that just that's what they do now in Los Angeles is digitize old sure. shit because luckily that's like that's it's funny I always say there's like there's like there's a real positive and negative to trying to do film in Los Angeles and the positive is that there's an infrastructure for things like if I was living in Mississippi and like alright how do I digitize this beta cam I'm like probably paying to ship it to Somebody LA like you go down to the alligator <laughs> farm and here we go everyone but but in Los Angeles it's like hey can I just film in the corner like like, yeah, yeah, 5,000 bucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Do you guys have a permit? This is my house. The cops are, like, busting down the door. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was in Atlantic City filming for the documentary, there was we're, like, filming on the boardwalk, and I was very nervous. And a cop comes over to me and my DP, and he's like, what are you guys doing? And I was like, and I, I don't know. My, my DP just said very quickly, just honestly, we're shooting a documentary. And he goes, 
Well, you're going to want to get some shots from over there on the. On the <laughs> I was so. I was like, well, you fucking idiot. Have and you then, guys been under the boardwalk yet? Because that's where the real magic happens. It, it was just. It was just. So, I was so ready for him to be like, you guys can't do that. Instead, he's like, no, here's some great spots for you to get <laughs> to get shots for this. And like, no concept of not allowed to film. Yeah, sure. They don't. Fucking, they don't fucking know, dude. I love um, that. Out here, out here. I mean, in New York, I remember once I was just like <laughs> filming like with like a handheld little handy cam in front of a building, just talking to the camera. The guy's, can't film here. Yeah. <laughs> Some six guys show up at the same time and bust your camera. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So so I have I have some questions right, right off the bat. <laughs> um, so. One of the things that's like about you as a comedian that I think people really like that I really like is 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 you are like a bastion of positivity. Thank you. Like like you're you know I that I remember when I had you headline my uh, wisdom show. I was like, well, I need like I need the person who is the dome. <laughs> is the dome is loves the dome. getting dome has yeah. a very big dome to, to close yeah. it out. You wore the kimono. You had like the crazy clown hair still. Yeah, I used for to think sure. I used to think of you when I first saw you. I was like, this guy just looks like a, a, a living walking clown. Yeah, well, a lot of people like compare me. Like I I would get sideshow Bob and Krusty a mm-hmm. lot like. Because I almost have like a, I had like a mix of their hairs. Not to mention I get hey, hey, like you know. <laughs> Did you do any clowning? No, not real clowning. But I mean, I kind of like you know just silly characters and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I used to do this character when I was like maybe two or three years into comedy, and it, his name was Bumble Clown, and he was a bumblebee dressed up like a clown, oh and it was so bizarre and weird. And I would just do it like to host shows sometimes, mm-hmm. but there was no real clowning in it. I never took professional clown school or anything. But so, so I think he was very positive. You're always like spreading positivity. You do the daily lollipops. Uh, you did the, you had your, your podcast, which was like all about like your Achilles heel podcast, like talking to people about like, I felt like that was like a podcast really helping people almost get over their own humps by, by, by talking it out. You, you released your book, the, um, roast yourself to, to happiness, to yeah. happiness. So here's, here's my question. When you got your cancer diagnosis, and like, and ding, like, ding, ding, and, there it is, and, everyone. Yeah, when you when you got your cancer diagnosis, uh, we still haven't heard back yet from the PET scan, right? That's gonna happen today or tomorrow. Oh shit! Oh shit! Stay tuned. <laughs> yep. Knock on, Mwah. knock on wood. Um, but uh, were there like, because you told there was like, okay, so first off. I remember you telling me they were like, it's either stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Stage four head and neck cancer. Stage four head and neck cancer. Or stage <laughs> stage three Hodgkin's, Hodgkin's lymphoma. lymphoma. Which and is what like, I have. And yeah. they're like, knock on wood that we have Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah, that's Because head and neck cancer just means you're dead. Essentially, that's a really bad one, especially at stage four. Yeah. And so well, it would have been. We're going to need to remove your head. Yeah, much longer <laughs> run. I just, oh, let me just put this over here for a little bit and just. Like I'm like a Halloween character. Um, and yeah, I mean, the doctor literally said, This is what we were hoping for. And my wife and I looked at each other like, 
We were? I so, 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 so you, so like, for example, me, if I heard that, if the doctor said to me, you either have Hodgkin's lymphoma or head and neck cancer, which is the word, I'd be like, well, it's definitely head and neck cancer. That would probably be, that would probably be where my brain went uh, yeah. instantaneously. Well, I don't do anything in moderation. So that's what I assumed is I was like, everything I've ever done in my life, including, you know, I've had eczema, I've had 10 out of 10 eczema my entire life. And that's always been an extreme, something. I've always had to dance with. And then when I got cancer, I was like, I bet it's like the worst cancer. Like, because my body, <laughs> and this is not like my body just goes, like, if we're going to do it, we're going to fucking do it, man. And so I was like, just assumed they had to do a bone marrow biopsy through my hip, which here's how you know a pain a operation or a procedure is going to be painful if there's five people in the room and three of them are there just to hold you down. Uh, that is, I was like, what are we doing here? Then they brought out we this don't, needle that was like this big. We don't like, knock people out enough. No, we don't. Because like, like I just had a Ahmed Al Qadri on here talking about getting hair plugs, mm -hmm. and he was like, "Yeah, it was a seven hour procedure, and I was awake for all of it." Oh. I'm like, I'm like, can't you just knock me out for the seven hours? And with Ahmed, couldn't they just like shave some off his arms <laughs> and then put it on his head? Isn't exactly. That easier? Elmer's glue. They took it. They took his middle of his eyebrow, and that was all. <laughs> that was all they needed to fill out the rest of his hair. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's dude. It was. I mean. Yeah. So wait, I guess what's your question? So I did have stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. You had not, stage three, not, but, not like, but, like, but I guess the question was, you know, always being like the positivity person of positive thinking. When you told it was either this or this, how you you were you? I guess you basically answered it. You were like, oh, it's definitely the worst one. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think I was gonna die or anything, but I was like, it's definitely going to be whatever the most extreme case is because that's just been a theme in my life. Oh, if I heard you have like you have skin cancer, we caught it immediately. Don't worry, we're knocking it out today. I'd be like, I'm fucking dead. Well, <laughs> you know what's weird about it is that it, um, if they had told me, because a lot of people have been like, man, wasn't that scary? No, scary was not knowing what the fuck was going on with me because I'm very in tune with my body and very aligned with what's happening inside. I try to, I do a lot of like self scans and things like that. So when they're like, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, go to this doctor, go to this doctor. That's the scary part. Well, and that, and that's where I can, that's where I can relate because as I was telling you before this, like I spent an entire year of my life just thinking I was dying of cancer and that nobody believed me because I was because well what happened doing your own chemotherapy you're like oh, I'll just take this thank you very much <laughs> well what happened was I like went for just a normal checkup and then I got a call and like all my normal checkups I called like yeah, watch your cholesterol uh they they called me and they're like we need you to come in Right away, your liver enzymes were like off the charts. And I was like, fuck. And they just, and like, it was like four days of coming back to the hospital and getting more tests. And that's what I was joking about with you, too. It's like all the tests to like knock out the possibilities of like the small things no one cares about came back immediately. Yes. All the tests you're like terrified of, it's like, all right, we'll find out in three weeks. Uh, go enjoy your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like just taking like an STD test. They're like, we'll call you in a month. And, and they, like, what? they basically, Basically, like, because I was like 26 at the time, they basically like checked me for everything but cancer. And at the end of it, they were like, yeah, we didn't get anything, but probably nothing. Just don't worry about it. So I was, so in my head, I'm like, well, that just means it's cancer. Cause I was like, I was like, that's the one thing you didn't check for. And yeah. then I knew a girl who was young that died of cancer that like they wouldn't check for. So I kept 
going back to the doctor to be like, I think I have cancer. They'd be like, you don't have cancer. And then I'd be like, all right, because I'd feel stupid when I was there. But then I'd get home and I'd be like, no, fucking, I do have it. No one one believes me. I'm going to die. I like didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do anything for a year. Was just kind of like sad and keeping it to myself. And I'd be like, oh, everyone will fucking see once I'm dead. Um, (laughs) Not not the worst side effect, though, is that you basically became a healthier person because you were so scared that you were dying. And then, uh, but it would like transfer. So finally, like I forced, I forced them after like a long time. And I was feeling like intense pains and stuff in my liver. And like, so I finally forced them to check. And uh, they're like, you don't have it. And then all the pain went away. It was 100% psychosomatic. Yep. I like got over it. And then I started to feel like just this tiny lump in my neck. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I went and the doctor's like, this is too small to be anything. If it grows 10 times the size, come back to us. And then I spent a long time being like, well, no one believes that I have this now. And it just kept transferring. And then Trump won. And then I figured he was going to kill me. And it, it was just, I just, and I, that's when I learned. I stopped being a hypochondriac. And that's when I learned my anxiety was really just something has to be killing me. It has to be either cancer, it could be Trump, something like well, <laughs> that's when I got into therapy because I was like some I I'm like just I'm like so, I constantly need to feel like something is killing me. I mean, in some ways, then your hypochondria has really serviced you in a lot of ways to become a better person and a better version of yourself. Like instead of living in fear, you're like, well, I better get, get my body in check. I better get my head in check. And suddenly you're like doing probably probably a lot better than you were. I was. Yeah, I've gained 50 pounds since getting my body in check. I had, well, I had Bridget sell on the podcast. Yet. I think is the weight scale still in here. I weighed myself on the podcast for the first time in a while. (laughs) It was not good. (laughs) It's about feeling. It's not about what you actually weigh, Josh. No, I know. And that's that's that that is another interesting thing is it's like um, I felt real good about myself when I lost all the weight. And it was like the first time I ever felt good looking in my life. And I still haven't let that go. I still feel now it's like it's like I feel like I get fat and still feel good looking. That I feel like that energy uh, really serves me more than any of the any of the weight stuff ever did. Agreed. I mean, it's it, you have to it doesn't matter what size you are. If you feel good, then you feel good. And if you tell, tell yourself if you can look in the mirror and be OK with what's looking back at you, that's actually one of the one of the first things so roast yourself to happiness is a four week program essentially where every day there's a little thing to work on of yourself and a little exercise to do and we in the first week I make you stand naked in front of the mirror and just tell yourself all the things you hate about yourself like god there's this fucking gross weird piece of fat sticking out of my hip and what is this splotch of redness here and what is that and then for you the just, first week that's in the that's in the first week that's it's in the one of the week. days. Okay. I probably need two weeks to get through that. It's a real experience <laughs> a I things. had where I was I was at a uh, I was tripping really hard and I went to the bathroom and I was like, oh God, look at this fucking monster. I'm so red. I'm so disgusting. And then I went, no, this is my body. This is my face. Nobody can make me feel any way that I don't want to feel about myself. And it was this big revelation that I was like, oh, why do I let other people's judgment of me affect me at all? If I'm happy with the way, with who I am, then own who I am. And that includes all parts of me. That includes the eczema. That includes the cancer. I mean, that's why as soon as I found out I had cancer and I wasn't going to die, if you find, 
I think it would have been much easier if they were like, this is terminal. You're fucked. I would have been like, great. I'm going to go swim with some sharks and jump out of a fucking plane <laughs> with no parachute. And, you know, I'm going to do all these crazy things. But no, once I learned I actually had to fight, I was like, all right, put me in, coach. Let's go. Get, we're going to get this thing out of me however we can. Now, on a certain level, I had a selfish approach to you having cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. So I was like, so it was very upsetting to hear. And I was like, all right, I need Alex to survive and for it not to seem that bad because like if, <laughs> because I need to see that this is beatable because like so far in my life my experience is everyone I know that got told they had cancer died <laughs> yikes uh, yeah I mean well this I mean short of like some people that had like quickly removed skin cancer it was really crazy in the very beginning because I seemed so healthy that people would come up to me after shows and be like is that real is that a bit and I'm like no, what a terrible fucking joke. Yeah, that I, there be. was a part of me that was like, is Alex telling people he has cancer so he can get booked on more shows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the uh, please don't let me die tour. Uh, it's uh, what I really need is a doc tour. That's what it should have been. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> doc tour, I got doc tour. Yeah, uh, it's one of the it's. It was so bizarre because I wasn't having side effects. And after I started the chemo, I felt like, okay, I'm excited to go to the infusion center because that means I'm getting better. Whereas a lot of people walk in there and they're terrified, they're sad, they're just really broken forms of themselves. And I was like, no, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be silly and I'm going to be fun and I'm not going to let this affect me. And for a long time... It didn't. I feel like, and I also, just for the record, I, I believe you won more tennis matches against me after getting diagnosed with cancer than before getting diagnosed with cancer. Right. How, do, how does anyone believe that you have cancer <laughs> if you go get chemo and then right afterwards you play tennis and then you go to a headlining set later that night? Exactly. How the fuck is anyone... Because people want to see a sick person. They want to go, oh, I can tell that I'm not that, right? Because they need to detach themselves from their own fear. Well, I was almost angry about how easy it seemed cancer was going for you. It was, and <laughs> for it a while. Was, it for was, a while. After, and then, after all the testing, it was going easy. And then, and then, so then you did my, you did my uh, Roosevelt show, mm -hmm. and um, it took them a while to pay me. So it took me a while to like pay the comics, and then like. I sent you your money while I was in Florida, and I was like, "Oh, I guess Alex is upset about how long this took because he never, he never even like like responded thank you or anything or got it or even liked the Venmo." And then I got a text from your wife being like, "I don't think Alex is going to be able to do your next show," and I was like, "Fuck." Yeah. So I mean, and that was the moment where like suddenly, like man, it was like it was like. <laughs> For a while, uh, I was like, Alex should go on the Cancer Schmancer tour mm -hmm. because <laughs> that's basically what it seemed like. I was like, I've like, I had cold, I've had colds worse than Alex's cancer for a Seriously. while, <laughs> and I've been way, I've been way more down and out than what the cancer was doing. But then everything took a turn in the complete wrong direction and suddenly I was literally face to face with death and so out of it that I didn't even realize how close I was. So, so which in a weird way is somewhat comforting. Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't give a fuck. When they were like, you almost died, I was like, damn it. 
<laughs> yeah, you like, didn't get to, you didn't get to see that. You didn't get to stare death in the eyes. You were like you were. I was too fucked up, too, like to to know that I was even on the verge of that. So so I guess the questions I have is: Was the near death experience related? specifically more to the cancer to the chemo do they know like what what happened here's what happened so when i got cancer they said it's going to be six months of chemotherapy every two weeks 12 total sessions so instead of having one of these a pick line which is on the outside which you have to take care of and maintain and be careful with they put in a porticath through a surgery which went right here right so that's just a little port that they put in then they just stick the needle in that goes right through and you never have to worry about anything two months after they did that surgery after my fourth treatment uh i started to feel very very woozy and really like detached out of it uh very weak uh for the first time ever i had to cancel a couple of shows and i've never done that before and so i was like something's really wrong with me i went to get a pet scan and i was so out of it that they were like the doctor was I got back to the doctor and he was like you just need to go home and you need to take a nap and I was like okay so I go home <laughs> See, this, is, this is why I didn't this is why I don't believe when he's like you're fine it's nothing well my wife and I end up getting very furious at our doctors for the for this because they should have immediately known something was off kilter but I go home and I take a nap I wake up four hours later and I walk out of our bedroom my wife's sitting on the couch watching TV and I she goes are you okay and I was like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. I walk into our kitchen and just start peeing. And she's like, Alex, no, 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 not there, not there. That's not the place. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. And then I walked into her office and continued <laughs> just peeing all over the place. And then she's, that's when she realized something's very wrong. I take off all my clothes and just sit on the toilet. She calls two of our best friends. They rush over. And like my friend's like, hey, man, you got to sit down. And I was like, how? And he goes, there's a couch right behind you. Just sit down. I was like, I don't know how to do that. And suddenly they realized we got to get him to the ER immediately. Didn't know my own name. Didn't know what year it was. Didn't know who the president was. That's a blessing in disguise. <laughs> uh, but then I later, they admitted me immediately. I basically was awake for all of this for the next couple of days, but really don't remember. But apparently it was very, very, very touch and go because I went I, they found out I had a vegetation in my heart, a one centimeter vegetation that spread to my brain, causing multiple emboli at the same time. So essentially, when I was getting that PET scan and I was so out of it and couldn't follow instructions, I was having a stroke. And then the next when I got to the hospital, they found out that I had gone septic. So my blood had turned to poison and was essentially shutting down everything at the same time. And if my if they didn't take me to the hospital when they did in 24 hours or so I would have been dead which I'm still coming to terms with that because at the time you're just fighting for your life you're and then I'm in the hot and then I was in the hospital for 33 days you're not thinking about any of that there's a couple moments when I'm like god damn it can you just please just pull the tab baby I don't care I don't I gotta get out of this life like I'm done and but I was so out of it that I didn't realize how just how close I came. So but did did so what caused all of that? 
We don't nothing. I mean, like other than the fact that, like, I mean, the infection. It's just like the combination. You had an infection from it, the thing that was inside. It, that, you? That, yeah, because sepsis is essentially your blood gets infected, mm-hmm. and so there was some at some point something happened that I could because obviously if if you get infection from like a cut, you're gonna start to see some weird blues and greens and mm-hmm. some scabs. You can't see anything that's going on underneath your skin. So it was from a surgery, but it took two months to develop and. To, into whatever it was supposed to do, at which point then it just everything blew up at the same time, which is it's so bizarre. I mean, my mom flew out there. They told my wife to brace herself because this is serious. They at one point they said my wife had to have a conversation with my with her sister about well we froze his sperm. If he dies, do I have a baby? Like and and I was thinking like you talked about that, and she's like yeah, Alex, we talked about that, and our answer was yeah, you probably should. And I was like you were just gonna be a single mom with a dead baby living inside. <laughs> like, whoa, like this is when you realize how terrifying it is because you're so out of it. You don't fucking know, dude. I'm just in a hospital, like hanging on, sleeping a lot, getting a shit ton of painkillers. It's everyone in your life that is close to you that is fucking scared, yeah. you know? And that's the part where I still I still haven't really begun to process everything that happened in there because 33 days in a hospital is a long fucking time. Oh, for sure. To be in a hospital. Sometimes I'm like, I remember I was like, I'm gonna try and stop eating pork, and I lasted like four days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, times four, and then uh, we're about there. Uh, then I was like, I was like, wait, there's pork and juicy pork dumplings. God damn it. Yeah, um, <laughs> plus, plus all those pigs you were fucking. That's not gonna uh, help. <laughs> but uh, man, so 33 days in a hospital. So like, like at a certain point. Were you like feeling like you had it together and you were like, but you're like in the hospital for like a lot longer? Um, I was getting so I was I I became conscious of everything that was happening, which honestly was worse because then I'm there. Then I'm thinking like, fuck, how long am I going to be in here? I don't know how long I'm going to be in here. Then every single little procedure I'm wide awake for. And even though they're giving me painkillers and all this other stuff, it still was like. Fuck. Two and a half weeks, I didn't even get out of bed. I wasn't allowed to get out of bed. I was peeing through a catheter, which every once in a while, the catheter, you just have to trust that that thing is in there properly. <laughs> because there were a couple times when you just start going, you up. Oh, it's not in there. Somebody get here immediately. I'm going all over myself. And you just have to, like... And then I had to relearn how to walk because my my body had atrophied so much and my brain had taken such a giant hit that when I first time I tried to get out of bed with a physical therapist, I literally could not get out of the bed. Swear to God, if you beat me next time. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is and then that started like, you know, every day having three hours of physical and occupational therapy where I had to like, you know, occupational therapy is the difference from physical to occupational is Basically, physical is just like we're going to re- rebuild your muscles. We're going to strengthen your body. Occupational is we're going to teach you how to live again so you can operate on your own. And literally, you're going to like a fake kitchen and they're like, so if you were going to make soup, can you pull out the ingredients from the cabinet to make some soup? And I'm, then I'm having to stand there like, oh, OK, like, oh, here's some chicken broth and here's this. And they're like, good. Was it hard? It physically, yes. 
mentally, it was more like, I can't fucking believe I have to do this right now. I, that'd be terrifying to me, the idea that they think I can't, that they're like concerned about me not being able to do this. One of the things that in the in the hospital, so when I got to the rehab floor, you they have this whole little like gym, and one of the things they have in there is a fake little car that you climb in and out of to see if you can get in and out of a car, and they make you do that kind of stuff repeatedly. Like, I mean, they were literally just like setting up things. Can, can you walk in a straight line? Can you do like, and it was just like basically like a month long DUI test. Yeah, that's what it felt like. <laughs> yes. They were like, they were like, all right, throw the ball with the right hand, throw the ball with the left hand, cover up, uh, 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 say the alphabet backwards. I was like, I can't do that anyway. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where I just had to like, I mean, the first time I actually walked, I got eight steps. And then essentially was like, I'm done. Please hold me up. Hold me up. Hold me up. And that was with a walker. I was so fucking weak. And I'm a person who I very much try to take care. While I am a partier and everything, I very much take care of my body so that when I do party so that nobody ever gets concerned, like, wow, that guy's taking a lot of drugs. It's like, yeah, but he's healthy. You know, he takes care of himself on the other side, which is what I do. The drugs are just a purge. I was like, man, how have I ever, I've never been in a state where I physically couldn't lift my arm up to like grab something. And that part is terrifying because I didn't know how long that was going to last is I didn't know if I was ever really going to come back. And then and then, of course, I doing MRIs and an orthoscopic surgeon comes in and goes, you have a very old injury in your knee. It's very old, but we need to do something about it. And I was like, what is it? He's like, it's a torn ACL and a torn meniscus. And I was like, since when? And he goes, it happened a long time ago. Have you never felt this? And I was like, not really. I kind of have a little bit of knee problems, but I'm pretty strong. He goes, how have you never felt this? <laughs> you should not be. I was like, I don't know. I play tennis a lot. He's like, you play tennis? And I was like, yeah. Like, and he, I think it's because of slacklining that I was, I never knew because I've re-strengthened my legs. You just have and my muscles core. holding your knee together. There's like no tendon. I essentially, yeah. I mean, that's part of it. And I, he was like, well, I got to get in there, and I got to. He drilled four holes in my knee so he could drain it because my right knee was three times the size of my left knee. And even though I went, part of uh, being in the hospital, I w had. I feel a, like there's just like a line of doctors waiting outside your room, like, all right, my turn to get paid, dude. <laughs> this I, guy, this guy's gonna, this guy's gonna believe anything right now. It's not. You're, I, I, I know you're joking, but, but like I did have seven doctors a day that would visit me. And some of them, I had this guy, he was a lung specialist. And I was like, he's every time he comes out. Like, you like, were like a breadline for doctors. I really was. <laughs> they were coming out like holding their bowls, like just with their stethoscope, like, please, can I listen to your heart? Can I hear the vegetation? But I had one guy and he told me, he's like, look, I know your lungs are fine. I'm checking. But like, honestly, I just like hanging out with you. And I was like, how much is you wanting to hang out with me, me costing? costing? <laughs> <laughs> right now because like yeah every time you come in it's like 80 bucks or whatever and he just come in and be like you want to watch a little world cup i'm like yeah but can this be on your break or something like i don't <laughs> fucking need you here mm -hmm. uh so then yeah i mean basically then i had knee surgery and i was like now i gotta rebound from that too. So when I got out of the hospital after those 33 days, it was December 19th. I could barely walk and I could barely even function as a human. And that part was like, I don't know how long this is going to fucking last. 
And that's the scary part is my brain, I have to rebuild my brain, do cognitive exercises so I make sure, because obviously, like, look, you can be on stage with whatever physical, like, you know, people, we know comedians in wheelchairs with cerebral palsy, Not all kinds of stuff. Not at the improv. That's, <laughs> that's true. But if your brain is not working at 100%, your comedy will suffer. Your everything will suffer because p comedy part of it is being so fucking present. Well, you want to know you want to know what to this day is the hardest I've ever seen someone kill in my entire life on stage. Please. Uh, when I start a comedy, the very first thing I did, and I actually do recommend, you know, there's a lot of people that are against comedy class. I very much, when people ask me about getting started, recommend taking a stand-up class. And the biggest reason I recommend taking a stand-up class is I'm like, I'm like, I've been in the belly room where someone, like when they were due set of the night every once in a while, and someone got up on stage and was like, hey, it's my first time doing a comedy. And everyone booed them. <laughs> And like, and like, I sat there and I understood it from the perspective of everyone in that room who's been working their ass off to get pulled out of that bucket to have a chance to get on potluck the next day and get time in front of their peers and everything. But this person that walked into the room literally went online like, everyone's telling me I should do an open mic. What open mics exist? Oh, here's an open mic. I'm going to go to that open mic. That's why I think you see so many brand new comics like the Laugh Factory or for the sure. Improv. It's because they're just, they're looking for whatever. Like the Improv, that makes sense. Just, they have no idea about anything. No, you don't think, oh, I should go to this small little tea shop in East Hollywood on a Wednesday. You think, well, where does comedy happen? Oh, the comedy store. Of and course it's like, that's where I'll go. And I'm like, like stand-up class, it'll one, give you an environment of people as afraid as you are to try out your stuff in front of for the first time. It'll force you to write and it'll give you a show to be on at the end to get like an experience. I'm like, it's a great way to start. But so I took the standup class in 2008 at Caroline's in New York and uh, RIP. And, uh, and there was a girl in the class who's like, who did it because she's like, I just have, crippling stage fright like like i'm here because i am just so terrified of public speaking and i need to do something to get over this and on on the class show she gets up on stage and she's like i am just doing this because i have incredible stage fright and it just murder she right? was she was having a literal meltdown on stage because she was so scared it was like it was literally like watching someone having a gun pointed at their head, scared for their life. Tell a joke! Beg right fucking Begging, now. begging to be saved. Just like <laughs> explaining why they were doing it. And I have to this day never seen anyone crush like <laughs> she crushed in those five minutes on that class show where the audience was just done. Because it was, you know, part of comedy is about being so honest. Yeah. And it was so honest and everyone could feel it and it was so in the moment and it was like, it was such a like a, a fumble into a perfect set. Well, how do you follow that if you're like, you guys ever go to the grocery store and look at the cereal aisle and wonder why the cartoons are at the bottom and the healthy stuff's at the top? And they're like, I'm sorry, that girl just spilled her soul yeah, to us. Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. I'm trying to remember what it was that made me go into that story that you were just talking about. It, I was, had a, it was talking about like that you can do comedy with your like your bot. It doesn't matter what's oh, going oh, on with your body oh, as long as your brain is operating. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So she was like literally in pure panic mode on stage with the pure panic mode that's i think that's like a kind of weird interesting beauty about stand-up and and it's funny because like i i say like 
you know, I tell people when they submit tapes for like my shows, I'm like, I'll check out your tape, but like, I really want to see you in person. Yeah. Like, like I'm like, I've seen people have one great set and like that usually shows me that they're capable but the question isn't are you capable the question is are you doing it well yeah and that's why i never write anyone off if i see someone have a bad set because if i don't know who you are and let's just say i happen to be in the room or we're on a show together and you don't do well i don't go that person sucks i'm like well i've had nights where i fucking suck totally totally do i suck overall i haven't but i've seen other people (laughs) (laughs) you're always crushing dude uh but uh, but it was funny. Like I was just thinking the other day, they were doing the auditions at the comedy store for like the the showcases, mm-hmm. and I'm like, and it was like all these people that have been like door guys for five years, and I'm like, oh wait, so you guys have watched these guys go up like. 2,000 times over the past five years, but they're past depending on how they do tonight. Right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, that seems crazy. It's pretty bizarre, <laughs> that, that system. I I'm mean, like, I, it, hope, I hope a lot goes into like accounting for all those other times you've seen them on the main stage in between Mark Marin and and Bill Burr. I think so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, well, there's a reason why only a certain, uh, they, they showcase very few people, right? Mm. There's people that have worked there for 10, 15, 20 years that don't get showcased. And there's other people that work there for a year and then suddenly showcase. And it's about what you're doing a- as a whole, not just what you're doing right there in that building. Like that's what, but you do have to take advantage when you're, it's time to come and it's you're showcasing. You do have to bring it for that set. Well, I don't remember if you were judging or not, but my very first time roast battling, um, I know you've judged some of my roast battles. I don't mm-hmm. know if you were judging this one. My very first roast battle, uh, I was like very nervous. It was my first time ever even being on the belly room stage. And I'm standing there and I'm like panicking a little bit. And then like, I look at everyone and I'm like, look at that. It's Jeff Ross. It's Drew Carey. It's like all these people that are like, like people that have been like huge heroes of mine growing up. This is your opportunity to perform in front of them. And I was like, like, enjoy this. Enjoy it. I got up. I, it was the worst experience I've ever had in my entire life. They all <laughs> tore me to shreds. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. <laughs> you know, but- I, I tried to like twist it in my mind into this good thing. And then I was like, get me out of here. Get me off this What stage. you just said is so important, though, is that enjoy yourself. Yeah. And I every time, because here's the thing. When we're, let's say we have a big moment. We're getting, we're doing something on TV or we have a big show an opportunity whatever we get in our own heads and what I try to tell myself I started doing this when I was on Roast Battle on Comedy Central is I was standing behind those doors waiting for them to open waiting for me to go out and do this thing and I was going Alex you worked so hard you went to all those stupid open mics you sat for hours on end to not even go up to do this and if you don't enjoy it what the fuck are you here for and I had so much more fun during those shows because I gave myself the grace to be like, I know this is scary, but this is big, but you're ready for this and have fun out there. Well, two, two things, um, two things from, from that experience, uh, one is you got um, on the prices right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had I, you know it was funny afterwards. I was feeling real down on myself. I wrote and like I learned so much and like that's another thing you can really learn. You learn. Todd Berry has like a quote in his in his book uh, about like playing small towns. He goes, he goes. Uh, I don't remember it, so it's probably a good show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yes. But like, like you learn so much from the bad ones. That's where you learn. And it was like funny because when I did that first roast battle, I had 
three jokes prepared and three rebuttals. And I'm like, this is what I'm doing. And I went up there and it just went horribly. And I felt like I was a better writer than the guy. And I felt like I was going to be easy for me. And uh, it was like, it was like really got a, really got a taste of hubris kicking my own ass. That's good. Um, but afterwards, funniest person to be the person who gave me wisdom. And it wasn't necessarily what they said exactly that was the lesson learned. But I saw Jeff Carasalis right outside the, um, right outside the room, and I was—he's like, "What? Did you just do roast battle?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "How'd you do?" And I was like, uh, "Lost." He goes, "What? You go up there with your written material?" And I was like, "Well, I didn't go up there with nothing, Jeff." And he goes, "That's your problem. You think you're going up there with nothing?" Oh. I mean, that's a pretty good line, actually. Well, <laughs> here's what's funny about it. It wasn't that, like, I was like, oh, yeah, next time I need to go up there with no jokes and, like, just rely on myself. But the next time I wrote, like, a hundred jokes and, like, memorized all of them and, <laughs> and just picked which ones I was going to do in the moment by, like, whichever one jumped to me in the instant like like it was the difference of feeling like i was going up there with an arsenal and and like it felt like i was like well really i was going up with nothing that time because i was very shoeboxed into doing exactly what i had planned but like being able to be free and like like pick from a million different things and like be ready for it yeah. is a totally different experience well preparation you know and also giving yourself options in that you know if you if you that's what i found about stand-up is for so long i would be like these are the jokes that i want to do and i only have eight minutes up here so this is what i will do and do not try to make me do crowd work let me tell my fucking jokes and i would have a set so in and sometimes i'd be like wait i'd almost i'd cut off the audience from laughing because i'm like i don't have enough time for you guys to laugh this long at this shit i gotta keep moving <laughs> and then you're like somebody told me they're like dude you're cutting off people's laughter why? And I'm like, well, because I only have this much time. They're like, then only then do less jokes. Yeah. What if you're doing you're doing the job, but then you're not allowing them to just let it all out. And that's not fair. And I was like, mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing. I, exactly. Like the other thing with like having it all there and like like being able to jump back and forth is it feels very written if you are going up there like this is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But you can do all material you've written and have like to a T, but if you're like loose about it, if you're like, if I'm pulling the written jokes from whatever feels in the moment, it feels in the moment. Yeah, for sure. And that's I mean, like the whole goal is presence. Well, like how do we like, okay, I remember uh, when I was in college, this is even before I did stand up. Uh, I was watching a documentary about Death Cab for Cutie, the band, mm -hmm. and the lead singer, Ben Gibbard said like, it doesn't matter that we have played champagne from a paper cup thousands of times because for these people a lot of them this will be the first time they ever hear it live and we need to pretend it's our first time giving it to them and I think about that when I do stand up it doesn't matter how many times you've told these jokes if the audience doesn't know them you need to surprise them too and if you're just kind of going through the motions and just letting it happen which we all fall into a place sometimes where maybe we're not in the mood or it's just not going well and we're just kind of become rote but when we, we can tell the same joke a thousand times and make it feel like it's the first time. Well, there are also the comedians who I think like with bands that have like, like everyone wants to hear Billy Joel play piano, man. Sure. And I'm like, everyone wants to hear Gaffigan do Hot Pockets. Right. Like Gaffigan's got more material than maybe anyone. Like that guy writes. How like, many specials? I mean, eight, ten? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it, honestly, I say like sometimes I'm like Gaffigan's 
such a good joke writer and writes so many good jokes that I get bored watching a special because it's too many good jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I get I get like 20 minutes in and I feel like I've watched an hour of, of Joe. Like any other comic would have taken an hour to get the number of laughs Gaffigan's gotten me at in I'm 20 sure he minutes. would love that criticism. Like, I'm so glad that I was so genius well, that I'm not, I bored I'm not even, you. It's not even a criticism. It's just, it's, 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 uh, it's just like <laughs> a thing I noticed when I was watching a special, one of his, a couple specials ago, I was like watching it and I thought thought it was almost over yeah. and like I saw that I wasn't even halfway through and I was like wow what a testament <laughs> yeah but uh but it, like despite having so much material like two times I've seen Gaffigan he did Hot Pockets years after Hot Pockets because he knows that the audience wants Hot Pockets is piano man for Gaffigan or like I mean I don't know if Kreischer's still doing the machine story when he goes out and performs I don't think he can I mean but people but I know that people want to hear the machine people yeah. are coming to see the machine it's like there are those comics who have bits that are literally hit songs what do you think happened with Gallagher when he stopped smashing fruit did he on stop stage? smashing fruit on stage I figure I think he did it some I mean he basically quit comedy but I wonder if I mean it's uh, weird to have Gallagher go into open mics to practice right I mean <laughs> what's that like what I, was that was he heading a fourth wall back in the day with like a watermelon <laughs> <walking on> <laughs> tribal just, tribal cafe yeah, like asking for fruit from behind the thing that they're blending just getting kicked out of every fucking establishment that he goes into just for destroying <laughs> How do you it? get good at that act? I don't know. I, I mean, watched, I guess, you know, I watched one of his hours. Um, I when loved I was, him when I, I was a kid. I didn't know much about him other than the fruit smashing, but I played him at a sticker treat, which is when you do two minutes as a famous as another comedian. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and, I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to do Amazing Jonathan on that. show. Oh yeah, that'd be great for you for sure. And but that's the thing. I always did. I was. I, I did Gallagher I always one year to sign up. I watched his special, and he's on one roller skate moving. Around this little theater, but doing all this very subversive political commentary. And I was like, this is bizarre in a good way. Well, it's also funny. I mean, I I often think like I hate when comics rag on like people for being music comics or prop comics. I'm like, if you're doing it well, if you're making people laugh, you're making people laugh. Yeah. That's the goal. That's the goal. Well, that's why people make, shit on it is because yeah. you're like, you're using a fucking crutch. How dare you? I'm like, you use that crutch. I'd love to see. I'd love to see any of those people criticizing Carrot Top do prop comedy as funny as Carrot Top. I'm sure some of them might be able to. But like somebody told me and this is like, obviously, I, I like I say I don't care, but obviously it stuck with me. So a little bit of me does is I posted a clip of me making a joke about my pick line saying like, oh, man, you know, the best thing about this, I don't even have to break skin when I do heroin anymore. Look at that, everybody. <laughs> and I just put that online, a 15-second clip, and somebody was like, I've never seen such pandering. And I mistakenly responded to it. I was like, well, when you get cancer, you can tell whatever jokes you want about it. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't make pander and make it easy on the audience. And I was just like... I'm not going to listen to this like at all, but like, I just thought it was so funny that I have cancer and I'm making a joke about this thing that's literally inside my arm attached to my heart. And this guy's like, easy way out. Well, here I have, I have, I have a really hilarious story about something like that. People always say it's like when someone writes 
a criticism of you. Go check out their their profile and see what they're doing with their life. So I posted a clip and someone just wrote that my voice was really annoying. And I was like, fuck this guy, who's him? And I clicked on his Instagram and he had just like all this incredible art that he made. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I, was like, I, I know. I followed him. I was what, like, I like, I like your. <laughs> what what like you your... want to see is a very like sad character. Yeah, no, like, but it was like he was like creating like 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 uh, <laughs> chiaroscura like giattos. <laughs> I was like, God damn it! Yeah, I, I just, can't. I can't win. <laughs> I just take it as look. That's what I, you know. You put a joke on Reddit or something like that, and you're gonna have fucking trolls come after you. And especially like in the stand up comedy, it, here's what I don't understand: stand up comedians, even if you're on Reddit, which is a hole for hatred and stuff like that, <laughs> still commenting like that joke fucking sucked on another stand up comedian's like post. I would never do that, and it just kind of says like are. I don't know what it says about you. Well, you know, I'll say on, on like a personal level, like a thing that I've definitely experienced in my own life is like the more you start to do, the more you realize what goes into doing anything and the more like you feel for someone putting anything out there. And like what's crazy about the person making the comment about that is it's like, like, are you are you not are your eyes not open to the world we live in where we have to just post any and everything all the fucking time to do anything anywhere ever? Yeah. It's like <laughs> um, that's my that's my Oscar winning. But it's also title. Wait, he, uh, <laughs> he came at me and said, like, well, my favorite comic ever, Norm Macdonald, kept it a secret. And I was like, and now he's dead. He had no support for 10 years. And that's his choice. Going, and that's his choice. Good for Norm for take. I thought about going that route. And then it just didn't work for me as who I am as a person i'm vocal and i'm open and so i'm not a person who's going to close off my cancer i said i'm going to get in front of this immediately i'm making a video as soon as i found out i, I had it and i'm going to putting it out into the world so that people know and i don't have to hide from this thing anymore if people want look everyone's going to take approach it differently when you go through something like this but my approach was talk through it make fun of it use humor to deflect any sort of anxiety and fear that is building up inside of you because I, of course I was scared. Of course I was. People think that I'm some immune because of like, oh, well, you know, you're kind of this, do this weird roasting character and like you're going on stage and all these, it's like, okay, but this is real. I have a family. I have friends. I have people that love me. Like I need to get better. And this is, this is how I'm going to do it. And that's like the other thing. It's just like, like each person's their own person and each person has to be who they are on stage. And like Norm's thing is being pure, like, like irreverence at every moment. So yeah, cancer's maybe not going to work for Norm. And, and the other thing people don't realize is, well, Norm didn't come out like publicly about how he has cancer. He had tons of material about cancer. If you like watch his acts, he has like a whole, th he had like, one of my favorite bits of his. And that's like, again, how personal it gets. He talks about like, he has a bit about losing the battle. They say you like lose a battle to cancer. Oh, it's right, like, right. he's like, not only did you die, but he died a loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a loser. And I'm like, and he's like, and is it even fair to say like you lose the battle to cancer? Because when you die, the cancer dies too. It's more of a draw. Yeah. <laughs> God. Is that from me doing stand up? Is that what that's on? It might you know what the truth is, I actually when I the time I saw him do that was live. Oh, cool. And and that's the bit I and that's the bit from seeing him live that I most remembered. Yeah. So it like it goes and Norm's 
could be my favorite comedian. This is, but it just goes to show it's like it's like that person saying that thing. It's like you're doing it your own way. Norm had did it his own way, but it's not like that wasn't a part of who he was and his and his material. It just came out in his way. Right. And this is the beauty of stand-up is whenever somebody says that person's not funny, I say they're not funny to you. Because you know what? It is so subjective. When somebody tells me that they're not a fan of mine, I don't give a fuck. Because that just all you did was just make it less work. I don't have to go after you. Then I'm not for you. Fine. I'm gonna go to these people over here. And what I always tell and when somebody says that person sucks, I go, no. They're just not for you. There's a very big difference in sucking and being not for you. So says, I don't know how this person made it. I don't know why they have so many fans. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, I remember <laughs> I was in Florida doing doing shows and I was getting a haircut and I was talking to my barber and she's like, oh, like, like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm in town, in from out of town. She's like, oh, what are you here for? I'm like, I'm doing stand up. She's like, I love stand up. Oh my God. Can I come to your show? I'm like, sure. She's like, last night I was watching TV and this Larry, the cable guy came on and he was just amazing. I've never laughed so hard in my life. And I was in my head. I'm like, you might not like my act, <laughs> but, sure. but I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, Larry's, uh, Larry's reaching, reaching far and wide. Dude, selling millions of tickets per year. And the funny thing is, like, like the other funny thing is, people that like Larry the Cable Guy come see me and they like me. They sure. Like, like, I mean, if you're an if you're open, right? It's it's it, that's what it is. It's saying, well, I like this. Maybe I will also like this. I will at least give it a chance. I'll tell you what blows my mind sometimes. Please. So when <laughs> I'll like go like when I'm on tour, and and the funny thing is when when Austin and I went on tour. So many times we'd get to the venue, we'd look out at the audience, we'd be like, fuck, this is the night we're going to bomb. <laughs> and we didn't. We didn't. We didn't have a bad set. We didn't have a bad show the whole tour, which like blew my mind. Um, but there were like occasionally people that like didn't like us or sat in the audience. And I'm always up on stage. I'm like, my act's pretty standard stand-up comedy. Like, like I'm not I'm not coming up here and doing something so out of the box that's like, uh, this is not what I thought. I'm always like, what did you think you were going to see? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm I like mean, telling jokes. I'm doing observational stuff, talking about my mom and my dad. I'm like, what, 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 what was... I'm always curious, like, what was your impression of what stand-up comedy is? Yeah, I mean, that just happens where a lot of people, they they do no research whatsoever, and it's basically just like walking into a music venue and saying, like, oh, there's music tonight? I like music. And then it's a hardcore death metal punk band, and you're like, oh, I thought it was, like, classical violin. This isn't for me. Yeah, but I guess when you say that, I I say to myself, like, someone who says, someone who's like, oh, I like stand-up. I'm like, someone who just thinks they like stand-up, I feel should like what I'm doing. Somebody who's like very much like I'm into Andy Kaufman type stuff or I'm into sure. this. Fine. I get them. But <laughs> you just taught them a lesson, Josh, because as soon as they go, well, I didn't like that, you go, oh, well now I'm making you pinpoint what, what kind it is, of jokes what you it is. do, what kind of humor is for you. <laughs> because if I'm not it and I think I'm pretty like conventionally in the norm of what stand-up comedy is, well then maybe you do need something more extreme. Or maybe even less. Maybe you just need more hacky. Like these are the jokes. That 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 that. You know. Well, okay. So last last uh, last thing I'll, I'll leave you on before we wrap up here. Um, something I also wanted to say. I'm trying to remember when when I was when I brought up the roast battle story. This was like the other thing I wanted to say is like I have a joke about how I was. Um, 
really like during the pandemic, it really made me rethink my dreams, like what I considered my dreams in life. Cause like, I used to think my dream was like being on the tonight show. Oh, this was a ba- This was based on your roast battle story about being backstage. Mm-hmm. I used to think my dream was like being on the tonight show. And what I realized is that's not my dream. What my actual dream is, is to have just been on the tonight show, done a great job and have everyone telling me how amazing I am. Being on the tonight show sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's all about what happens after the moment. But we spend so much time prophesizing about what it will feel like and what it will do for us that a lot of times we're not actually enjoying the presence. And I think that's that what people should be having. That's what people's dream are often is is the stuff they think their dream is will do for them. Well, right. It's every- and it's like you realize the moment where you have to actually deliver on the thing to make that happen is very scary. Yeah, everyone wants to be a rock star because you just want to play arenas and things like that. You don't want to. You don't like oh. I don't really feel like putting in the work, though. Yeah, you get, get up in there. front of your first arena with no practice. You're going to be, okay, here is my first song <laughs> that I'm going to sing for everyone today. <laughs> and hopefully this goes well for me. Otherwise, I will go in the back and slip my wrist. Okay, okay. Uh, and everyone's like, ah, this girl's this, hilarious. This is, she should be doing arenas. Yeah. It's my favorite song, the one where she stuttered her whole way I think that's a good way, good spot to end on. Alex, you want to promote anything before we get... Go to hoopercomedy.com at Hooper Hairpuff on all social media and I have tour dates coming back I'm going yeah. I'm, I'm doing things again everybody so we're all, we're all knocking on wood for uh for your for your upcoming pet scan results but it, hey, yeah. hey you know I, I'd say like you look healthy but you looked healthy when you were beating me in tennis with the uh, stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma I've oh, bounced uh, back pretty <laughs> I've bounced back harder than I thought and faster than I thought I would and it's a little terrifying oh yeah I had, I had one more joke I wanted to to oh, prepared for the podcast that I know that I didn't get to say which was um you know when you got the diagnosis like I was like fuck you know I'm like I'm very worried like please Alex be okay and then there was an improv mic that you did and uh I had a really good set and then you got the cold open I was like I hope it fucking kills him <laughs> <laughs> I mean I will say that when I went back to comedy magic club this is the last thing I'll say like I Richard the booker there was uh-huh. like was like oh my god it is so good to see you and I was like yeah but Richard do you know how close I was to getting my photo on the wall here <laughs> and he goes geez i was like i'm just saying he was like, it's geez, not up we there now. putting your photo on the wall yeah, we you, think you are come on <laughs> all right alex thank you so much for doing the show oh last thing i do for all my guests i give them i give them sweet sweet merch for being on the show heck yeah first off uh on the joe this is not a parody show but on the joe rogan experience he pushes a product called alpha brain here on the joe rogan experience we have beta brain love it uh, <laughs> obedience fealty insecurity for people who take medical advice from podcast hosts and then there's a picture of me doing yoga on the front and it's just molly right it's, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah okay so perfect everyone um, take your beta brain uh, we have an I farted sticker <laughs> uh, designed like the I voted sticker translated into oh i love that 15 different languages or something uh, you get your own Jew Rogaine experience sticker. Heck yeah, my water bottle is going to be stacked. And then if anyone understands this, it's you, you know, all likes matter. On ah! social media, all likes, all likes matter. Here's your all likes matter. Wear that one loud and proud that is so around good. Los Angeles. So good. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then lastly, uh, when you get out of here, I'll give you a Jew Rogaine experience t-shirt. Fuck yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, hopefully I'll keep these running weekly. So tune in next week. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye.